everybody, and uh, welcome to this exciting Q&A uh, for the behind the scenes of the Super Image LTD film Becoming Rich, uh, directed by Carlos Plummer. And today we have Carlos Plummer, uh, our director, and uh, Brooke Monroe, the composer, and of course the uh, feature uh, star of the film, Rich Ferguson himself. So uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hey. How's it going, guys? Great to see so, you all. I think we'll we'll start this off by kind of um, bringing it to Carlos and, and to Rich as far as where did this project start? I mean, it's such a cool, it's got such a cool energy and just the idea that this kind of came out at from nothing into something. And tell us the story of how, how this film came into existence. So uh, this this brings me, I think, all the way back to around 2014 is when I went to, uh, Kyle went to a uh, San Luis Obispo Symphony summer camp retreat at Camp Ocean Pines. And that year I was also filming a promotional video for the symphony. And when I went, there was a performance night and it was, uh, they would have a guest magician. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I should, I should. I guess it's not like each week they have a different guest magician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they, and, and it was a special event for the, for the camp. And I was like, this is really cool. It's kind of off the wall. And, and I, I go and I was going to film like the, the kids in the show, but then I saw it was Rich Ferguson. I, I didn't know who Rich was. And I saw the show and it blew my mind. Like I didn't participate in it in, in any way, but just watching how people were reacting to the tricks that he was pulling and just these elaborate, you know, uh, I don't even know how I, how I could describe my first time seeing it, but all I know is that it blew my mind. And so afterwards I approached him and I, and I got his card and it took, it took a bit, it took a bit for me to get in contact. I believe it wasn't until 2017 that I wrote rich and I was looking for a new project, a new story to tell. And I was making documentaries at the time. And I remembered Rich's performance. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder what the, the whole like tagline, the whole pre-production was what's behind the magic. And so I wanted to know what, you know, who Rich was. So I reached out to him, sent him an email and, and we kind of got off on the right foot and he started production on the film. And we, we did an interview and a couple follow-ups. But it, all it stemmed from for me was wanting to find a really interesting, off the wall and original story to tell that maybe no one had thought about before. So, um, Rich, like, what what would you say was like your reaction to me uh, approaching you about uh, getting a documentary made? Well, yeah, I mean, I remember you guys, and I remember obviously the symphony and, and doing magic. So it was kind of a unique, customized show for that day. I even had it tied around music a little bit as well. And um, so I was really kind of honored that someone reached out to say, hey, we wanted to do some sort of look into behind the scenes of magic or how it is you do what you do. And I think at that time I said, you know, there's already been some documentaries made about me. MSN made one. Another one was made about my childhood and my crazy upbringing. And you're like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to dive into like your crazy childhood. I really want it to be like the inner workings of you and magic and how it works and where you're going. And, and I think when we started talking, it, um, it kind of became more too, because it, it kind of, you started to realize more about who I was. So I think mm -hmm. it maybe changed the scope of it a little bit as well, but um, I was super excited. It, it was just a fun opportunity to, to do something on a professional basis. That's not just me doing magic tricks and YouTube, but like, Hey, let's make a piece. Let's make a story or a documentary about well, me a little bit, but more of like the essence of me and what magic's about and YouTube and 
all those journeys in my life. So it was really a, just a fun uh, kind of different approach to what people had approached me before about, put it that way. Most people just yeah. like, how do tricks work? Tell me how tricks work. Can I see behind the scenes how <laughs> tricks work? Or film some crazy stuff we can film and capitalize on because it's zany and crazy. Or tell me about your crazy emotional childhood. It's always all those tracks, it's always the same story and over and over. And so this was just, this was to me is like, you know, when it's all said and done, I look at this piece and I'm like, wow, if I ended my career, this is such a great little snapshot of like, here's, here's my life. Like, you know, rest <laughs> in peace, rich died. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it could just end with that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think oh, the, 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 the YouTube facet was probably one of the biggest uh, influences in me, like being so fascinated with, you know, who you are and, and how you were able to, to, make that such a successful you know launch on that channel and and i just saw the the reception of that and also you know you're just you're basically a, a central coast you know gem you know a lot of people know who rich ferguson is in san luis Obispo. and when i when that name comes up you know i i heard so much about it at the slow film festival and just different events around so i knew it was something that something special and i knew i i needed to get going on that so, so yeah my perspective on it was that I, I, I came into it later because I did the editing for the film. So it had already been all shot and, and everything. And I just was like, oh, cool. All this materials here. I got to see the, the story kind of unfold in front of my own eyes. But um, Carlos, you know, t tell me and tell us, the audience, uh, a little bit about what it was like for you because you were, you know, without me i was off at school and uh, you hadn't really aside from the the one documentary you hadn't really taken charge of camera and lighting and that sort of angle so what was it like learning and taking that on and overcoming those challenges so for me uh becoming rich was the first kind of step up for me as far as um production value because the first thing I did since Kyle went off to college was The Nine Lives of Harold Bauer, which was a short documentary about a veteran. And the story itself was fascinating. And this was my first foray into running my own equipment and just kind of building my own film. Um, and so there was a lot to learn from that as far as shooting and lighting and, and all these technical elements. So when it came to becoming rich, I wanted to make it very... Um, you know, off the wall was the the kind of genre I wanted to fit because I didn't want it to be like any documentary a lot of people have seen. I wanted it to have, you know, a lot more interview cuts as far as, you know, just actually like existing with Rich and having him run us through certain things. And while the interviews are important to guide the story through, I figured there's much more to a documentary than a talking head. And I really wanted to do that. But even with interviews, I wanted to get creative with the angles and get creative with, you know, the, the motion of the camera. We had a slider set up on the side of Rich, which, you know, here here at the school, we're, we're, we would never set up a camera at that angle because it's just it's kind of it's kind of frowned upon to have a, a side angle, a profile. Exactly. But I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I want I wanted to do it because it's just so unique and so creative. And if anything, it helped the final look of the film feel very modern and very, you know, just kind of rejuvenating my sense of the documentary. So I think the technical elements, it was just more of a room for me to play and learn. So I think that was that was the most fun aspect for me. And Rich, what was it like watching Carlos work? <laughs> well, obviously, this is my good side. So I understand. What he wanted. I totally understand. You know, he was trying to make like a, a fitness documentary. I get it. I get it. <laughs> 
No, it was great working with Carlos. You know, I mean, it, it's it's cool to have someone have a mind that was just so inspired to just dig in and just get stories versus just show me how a trick works. Because I, like I said yeah. before, that's tend to, it tends to be where people's minds go. They get so focused on like, well, well, how's that work? He was focused on the job. And that was apparent early on. I was very impressed. I mean, I told a lot of my friends and people around me when I was doing, it, I was like, this, this, like, this guy's, this is legit. This guy knows what he's doing. And I really like his passion. I like his focus. It's not, he's not here to get the insides of magic. It's really just, it's much deeper than that. It's more of a, a human interest piece. It's just uh so it was really fun working with them. And when it came to like the mic and the lighting and the camera, I, I didn't care one bit. I just put that hundred percent trust on him. And I just, mm-hmm. I worked as directed and I told him he would call me up about some things. I'd say, Hey, whatever, whatever you want, two o'clock, be here, do that. Sure. Whatever you want. I'd let him direct and let him do whatever he wanted. Cause I, I feel like he was in charge. He's in the lead and I should just give him that um, and not be in the way because I don't know what he wants exactly. And where, where his vision and it might change a bit, but I wanted him to have that free run, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as an editor on this, it gave me a lot of freedom to, I mean, he, he, the material he got, you know, and, and the way he shot it, it made it so that it inspired me to then take it and interpret it in a certain way. And, you know, we worked closely on the edit together. It wasn't just being by myself, but it definitely, I mean, I, I remember I came home from my semester on uh, like May 5th, May 6th, something like that. And uh, we had to have a cut done by May 18th to get it into a festival that we really wanted to get it into. And so that was, I mean, it was a crunch and it had barely been edited at that time. So, I mean, it was less than, you know, two weeks for sure. And we crunched to get this cut done. But uh, it was worth every every second spent because it ended up. I'm 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 really proud of of everybody involved, but also just it was very exciting to see mm-hmm. kind of this new perspective, not only on documentary filmmaking but also on you know Rich's story, you know, and how it's told. It's it's very personal, and I think that it really speaks to audiences in that level. But I remember that we had put a temp, you know, music track where we did that original cut, which then leads me to Brooke. Uh, this was the first uh, project we really worked with you on, right, Brooke? Yeah, yeah. This was the first one um, we'd met uh, previously uh, on a project uh, that a mutual friend was working on that um, never came to to be. But um, I think I was going reaching out to you, Kyle, to to possibly do some violin, some violin work. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, well, that, that didn't work out. We, you know, we networked and we, you know, kind of got to know each other. And I think it was the 20, uh, maybe the 2018, 2017 film festival, uh, slow film festival we were at. And I think it was uh, the 18 actually. Was it, was it the eight? Oh yeah. You're right. You're right. It was the 2018, uh, slow film festival where, uh, I think we really just got to chat a lot and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I get to know you guys a lot better, your love of film music. And, um, you know, I, I could see where your guys' dedication was in terms of filmmaking. And at this point, um, I don't recall, I think I did know that Carlos was working on this project and, you know, like most people on the central coast, you know, we all knew who Rich Ferguson was. And, well, and uh, we were filming Rich there at the festival in the tent that's right yeah yeah that's right um and and so when carlos approached me to to do the score for it um i thought gosh you know 
I don't think I, even before I saw the cut, I, I knew that there was going to be a lot of fun involved with this. Cause how could it not be? I mean, <laughs> like that's, that's part of the, like the, the, the whole experience is there, there, there's something engaging about it. Um, so when I did see the cut with the temp music in there, I just remember going, Oh my gosh, this is going to be a blast. And, and to this day, now I will say every score I work on or every film I work on where I write music, there is a sense of intoxication and dedication and, and creative, just like force that, that I get to, to build upon. Um, one thing that I can't say every score is, is fun, <laughs> you know, because I'm not, you know, I oftentimes I'm not writing fun music. Sure. The, the gig is fun, whatever, but you know, to write fun music, but in a way that's also moving the narrative or the story forward, um, you know, it allowed me to really play around in a lot of different genres, because I think what one thing that I'll speak very highly of Carlos was his vision was, you know, when the, the parts, when there was tenderness or seriousness, um, you know, he knew how to illustrate those things and he knew how, you know, what he wanted the audience to feel and to connect with when they saw Rich's, you know, early part of his story. But then as yeah. things start blossoming and opening up, there's a sense of fun and a sense of, um, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want um, musically. And we did. And, and, you know, so if you, the, the score is on Spotify, on Apple music, on Amazon music. And if you listen to it from beginning to end, um, you know, while it's really threaded, there's a lot of like kind of, um, you know, some thematic things that kind of reoccur throughout the tie everything together. Every track is kind of different from one to the next. And that I think was just um, really in service of what Carlos was trying to do, which was to really like once you're on that roller coaster, it's a roller coaster. And if you've never been on that roller coaster before, then boy, we got to, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun. So uh, it that really was is like a gamut of styles. And I think even just the opening track uh, for the opening scene is, is a, a real testament to it because it opens up real bubbly and fun and, and kind of goofy. And then immediately switches gears into that, like kind of electronic um, rock kind of feel, but it's, it's very in there's, there's a lot of intent. Like it's not just mm. for the sake of doing it. It's, it very much kind of reflects then how then the rest of the film goes from that. Like you, you mentioned the tender part, but then it goes into like the fun uh, styles, but then it, you, you do bring in like the electronic element when we talk about like YouTube and, and the whole like virtual platform. So like every bit is definitely carefully considered to connect to whatever the part is which i think that really really elevates you know our original cut because before we just kind of threw in whatever music was like oh it's royalty free stuff it works we'll slap it in and then there's brooke that comes in and then takes it to the next level and it's like yeah this is this is what we're we're yeah. going for absolutely he just you know, steps in and says daddy's got to go to work <laughs> <laughs> well you you guys gave me the freedom to do that really mm -hmm. like i mean you guys while you did have a 
you know, a good sense of what you wanted musically because you did have the the temporary music that fit within the cut that kind of gave me license to say, oh, cool. Like, I understand where you're going with this. And now it's time to, you know, get all the fun instruments out, the synthesizers, yeah. the electronic aspects, um, you know, getting my guitar out and, and, you know, kind of riffing a little bit, you know, getting some groove in there at certain times. The one thing that was really cool, and this was the very first time I'd ever done anything like this um, was actually, and I do this pretty much in every film and, and, you know, on some films uh, heavily where I take certain objects or sounds and, and I can warp them. I can mangle them. I can turn them into something that you weren't expecting. I remember pretty closely before this, I had seen um, the movie looper by Ryan Johnson and the, behind the scenes they they're talking his cousin um nathan johnson is the composer and you know he would take sounds from the set the sound of a of a, of a um of a pistol and uh, the sounds of of like chains and and these cool things and then he's manipulating them. they're showing how he was doing it i remember going gosh i i need to learn how to do this because you know there's a sense of magic even within that and so i just remember when there's a certain part in the documentary where rich says shape the magic yeah and right. i decided yeah. and i no, and goes, I, carlos is interviewing me and he goes did yeah you, did the magic shape you and i'm like or did i shape the magic and, and i could yeah. i took that audio clip of you saying shape the magic and i like time i slowed it down i time stretched it so you you were probably saying it you know eight times slower you know and then i i I made like three copies of it i i pitched one going a whole octave up one going a whole octave down and then i i moved things around i found where like the tonal center was and then i created a synthesizer out of that so there's a couple parts in the score that i'm actually playing chords uh, of rich essentially saying shape the magic mm-hmm. and um that was why really- didn't you do buy my book why didn't you why didn't you do the subliminal thing we talked about okay you know well my skills have uh, increased since the last time we spoke so i think we could, uh, i could definitely do that now i don't he, think he's I- at a, a bit of a level up there absolutely so anyways that you know just to to kind of reiterate like this this was you know everything that you could hope for and and it's like action-packed in 20 minutes you get a full roller coaster you know once you're done with it thank gosh you know i think we all have a little bit of rich inside of us but there's only (laughs) one rich ferguson who does what he does yeah well and i think the, 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 the music in this film stands out to me because well because like we talked about on our podcast interview with you as well as the q a with the film sarah was a completely different beast of a film and it was just a, a different approach it's obviously longer and it being a narrative there's a, a flow and a, a a thing a story that you follow and with rich the flow is 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 you know dictated by the edit and by the interviews and the 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 content within and and one thing i remember was so important that i hammered into kyle during the edit was the use of the b-roll and the use of 
Rich's YouTube clips, as well as his news appearances and his talk show appearances and all this stuff that, that, you know, that's essentially what people want to see. That's what they watch the movie for is to learn more about what they know about Rich. And so the music is really matches the vibe that those, that those clips give because they are fun. They're, you know, energetic, they're creative, they're exciting. And the, the, what was it like a six minute cue you had to write for that one, that one scene? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, I remember that. The pranks. Yeah. <laughs> I was, remember going like, Oh crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So this scene is um, six minutes and I don't think there's going to be a music break. And you right. need to have you grooving and riffing the entire time. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and, and, and it's gotta stay with it. Like we, you know, sometimes in a six minute thing, you can really do a lot of development and move things in, in a lot of different directions. This kind of had to be like, there's had to be a stability to the music yeah. in that scene. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the most challenging and the most rewarding uh, track was because I, 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 I really took your inspiration of, there's kind of like a funkiness to it. And yeah, and and once you unlock, you know, um, that lock and 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 kind of go into a direction where you know I don't write like funky music like that's just not not something I get to normally do. So the fact that I got to do that and explore over the course of six minutes, mm-hmm. you know, all I'm doing at the end of the day, and I'll say this on any film that I work on is it it's not. So the music just sounds cool. Sure. At the end of the day, if it sounds cool by itself, that's awesome, but it has to be in service to the story at hand. And so what I, what made it a lot easier was to follow what Rich was doing the whole time. And so at certain moments, you know, if he's saying something or, or if, if, if there's a, you know, not a tonal shift, but you know, if there's, if the energy's shifting in, in a certain way, you know, uh, that informs me of, of, Oh, how could I, you know, on a six minute track that has to be somewhat repetitive, what can I scale back and what can I bring Mm -hmm. in? And just so like, there's some fluidity to it and, you know, repetition doesn't have to get old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can still be really exciting. Um, And, and I think you guys, you know, I give you guys the credit for that because it it allowed me to, um, you know, just tell your guys a story a lot better. Yeah. Um, now one, you know, part I want, I want to talk about is, um, before, before I get into the kind of what, what, what now is, um, when it showed at slow film fest and what a cool experience that was being at the Fremont and, uh, you know, kind of hearing and seeing everybody's reactions, getting up on stage afterwards. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, starting with Carlos over overall, the reception (laughs) of the film. So to me, I feel like this has been one of the most rewarding uh, post or I would say the rewarding release experiences that we've had uh, for a super image production and for something that, that I've done even because it, there was such a, it, there's always such an excitement, like whatever festival we're at, whether it was Docuta or Slow Film Fest or Canab or even the ones we didn't go to, but we heard about online like Brave Maker, um, the the vibe that you could feel from people watching the film before and after was just so exciting because whether you were they were at Dakitan, they saw the poster on the wall and then they met me and they're like, Oh, you may be coming rich. I know what that is. Oh, we lost trees. 
I, I, I give that all to rich cause he, he steals that poster. <laughs> um, but yeah, the overall, just the reception was, was, was incredible. So when it came to slow film fest, I didn't expect them to give us a special screening at the Fremont. And we were paired with a film called Tin City, which is made by another Central Coast filmmaker. That was an excellent documentary about the Central Coast wine scene. And I really enjoyed watching that. And I was really happy that I was paired with it because we had a really cool audience mixed with that community and Rich's community, who in a sense bonded over these two films. And when I got the email from the film festival that we were showing at the Fremont, like I was ecstatic. I was over the moon because we've never had something shown there. And it was just all in all an incredible experience seeing the film on that big a screen with that big an audience, hearing the music, hearing the sound design, everything. And I'll never forget the nightmare that was the morning <laughs> of I get a call and they say, hey, you're uh our projector is broken and the DCP will not work. Do you have any other way to show this film? Thank God we had a Vimeo link and we were able to show it off that. But Which for um, everybody watching, a DCP is what the film festival makes you send to them. It's basically like the, the most raw, uncompressed version of your film. Mm -hmm. And uh, they basically told us beforehand, hey, we need you to send this to us. Which then the day of, they said, oh, our DCP projector isn't working <laughs> it's it, a was, it was it was an incredibly <clears throat> stressful experience but in the end it was so worth it because yeah. the screening went great the the pre-party and the after party were amazing rich was doing magic he was working the crowd and people were just there having a good time and i think to me like i left that festival and i left that night just over the moon and if anything it inspired me to want to keep creating and keep doing more but but to me, it was just probably one of the most rewarding experiences I've had as a student filmmaker so far. So, uh, yeah, Rich, what did, how did you feel about that? I feel the same way, but not from a filmmaker standpoint, obviously, but it's just a person and a creator to see a story about me. It's kind of weird because I see myself on TV all the time and it's like, I'm not that person. That's just a persona. That's, just <laughs> that's, this, that's this other person. I come home, I put on a different hat. So for me, like there's this documentary being made. And it's bigger than the previous ones. And it's on a big screen in my hometown with people from all over the country at one of the biggest international film festivals, really well received. And it wasn't, we have so many venues on the, 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 the slow international film festival to be on the Fremont screen. It's kind of like the highlights, kind of like surf night, you know, it's just a big yeah. deal. Um, it was just amazing. And then to look across this huge audience and see <laughs> half of it, which is comprised of our central coast, you know, um, citizens and you look out and you see all these people you know and a lot of friends and family it was just very very rewarding it was just a different kind of experience it was a lot bigger than i thought it was going to be at the, in the beginning you know mm -hmm. so i just kind of tied it all together and it was good you couldn't have picked a better night a better venue yeah, yeah. yeah. It was you, just, you couldn't have yeah and brooke yeah, the q a <laughs> and the after party before party yeah the hype the q a was energy. so much fun the energy was incredible yeah. I even had a couple of amps come from out of town who've never even seen me do magic before. And they just came to wow. the and watched me do magic. <laughs> it was just very different. Yeah. Really fun. Brooke. Um, gosh, you know, I think it, what's really my, my fondness of it and looking back is, is only magnified now because the last two slow film festivals since then um, have, have, essentially just been virtual so yeah. you know we haven't had even an opportunity 
to to experience anything like we did that night and it was so um you know to just kind of agree with you guys it was rewarding it was frankly unexpected um i didn't really expect just how many people would it, it would impact and resonate and i think one thing that with what rich does so well and something that I have to like remind myself of doing is just finding ways to have fun in my life. And I think sometimes we just need to see these uh, really empowering stories uh, of people who work hard that have, that do good things and, and present it in a way that makes you feel good about yourself. And, you know, it's, it, it's not always the case, you know, sometimes you see these incredible films and they just suck the life out of you. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and all the credit to the filmmakers and the writers and everyone that works on those films. Yeah. But this was just like a different energy. And it was an energy that was just so needed, um, yeah. you know, that night, because I think you had uh, all these people coming from different backgrounds. Uh, and, and as you guys were talking before, you know, having the, the film Tin City, um, you know, the documentary afterwards that was uh, featured getting all those folks and some, you know, I, I also work in the wine industry. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so for me, it was, it was kind of extra special because I could kind of tie all my worlds together. I could, I the crossover to, event. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was in a way uh, it was kind of like that, but it just, in, in, you know, this recollection of it all just makes me excited, um, you know, for what we can look forward to in the future with, you know, your guys's upcoming projects and, you know, Hopefully, you know, we can beg Rich to come out to San Luis Obispo and, <laughs> well, and, and do it again. I think to me, to kind of wrap that up is like overall and ending that festival on the high of winning best student film for the Central Coast filmmakers. Um, like the entire experience from beginning to end of making this film was was kind of a journey for me as well, because, well, I had the brilliant idea of starting production on this film at the end of my junior year of high school, <laughs> which happened to be my most excruciating year with exam prep and, and just, you know, getting ready for my senior year. But that's that's essentially why I, you know, I'm so grateful Kyle was able to help with the edit. But when it came to promotion and that that was the end of my senior year of high school, that was basically the end of that chapter of my life as I'm getting ready to go to college and to be able to kind of like end that spring on winning that award. And with this film, which is essentially built around San Luis Obispo and our roots here to win at this festival with that screening, just everything was, was just perfect picture. Perfect. Could never recapture that kind of, I'm going to say it, but you couldn't recapture that kind of magic. Hmm. <laughs> so I kind of want to transition here. Um, and, and this can kind of be just, just the idea of this topic is where, where is everybody now um, all these years later, but um, I want to start with a couple of the uh, user submitted questions. Um, one of them was uh, mentioned about uh, an injury, Rich, if you wanted, you wanted to talk about that and uh, your recovery. Uh, yeah, my ego. And so, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, around the time we made this documentary, um, I got I got in a car accident um, in San Luis Obispo. And 100% not my fault. I was going, driving down uh, into downtown, and a gentleman came up over a hill on a stop, blew through the stop. He was 90 years old, slammed into me. 
I have uh, a torn ulna nerve in this arm. I can't mm. move a couple of these fingers very well. I have no sensation in two of them. Um, I have three bulging and collapsed discs in my neck. I've lost almost an inch in height, literally. Uh, horrible sleeping at night. But long story short, it made doing magic a little difficult for about a year. And so I was been dabbling for years in body language and influence. I've always been into that. I'm kind of wickedly observant. And um, I've incorporated a lot of that into my magic act, especially my more the mind control kind of magic act. And so long story short, at the end of most corporate events, someone comes up and he's like, how do you read people? How can you help me with sales? And it's always been a reoccurring theme for 20 years. <laughs> and um, so I've had this idea for five, six years to write a book on the subject. And uh, the accident happened to kind of put a hold on that. But then kind of going full circle, the accident has put a hold on my magic a bit too. And then we moved to Denver to be centralized so I can service East and Coast, West, East Coast and West Coast quickly. And then COVID happened. So it's like, I just kind of been on hold and on hold and on hold, but I, I'm kind of gearing up to do the corporate training and seminars, retreats and conventions and trade shows uh, where there's crowds of people in sales or CEOs or whoever it might be and teach them about how to read body language from a completely different perspective. And, uh, and I incorporate a lot of magic in the act in the, in the presentation to make it interesting. I use some magic as analogies, but I also get into techniques of influence and how it ties into body language. And, and it's really great for anyone in life, but, uh, you know, hiring fire negotiations, especially in sales, anything like that. And so that's kind of the new direction, but it was a car accident that you, you brought up an injury that was pretty bad. And that gentleman that hit me died that night. I mean, it was a, it was a wow. bad hit. And, um, so that was something I had to deal with for about a year, year and a half. I was semi-depressed and really figuring out what the heck am I going to do? I was living the life. I was, I had every door open to me. I want to be on a TV show. I just snap my finger. I want to make a product. I just snap my finger. And it just, um, I, don't, I didn't really have much of a backup, backup, backup plan. Mm -hmm. Luckily I have tons of royalties and I have my finger in YouTube and I have, you know, I'm in all these little things, but as far as my core thing, which is me as an entertainer, that just, whoosh, that just kind yeah, of took a hit. So that was, that was pretty rough. So I, since this documentary, I've been dealing with that. And um, I think I've come full circle at the beginning of last year, right before I moved out of San Luis Obispo, I did uh, my second TED talk and it was a big one. It was at the Performing Arts Center at Cal Poly and talk about yeah. an audience to be in front of a packed house yeah. and be being booked as the, 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 the main guy. They have all these people come in and I didn't even know they were gonna do that until the day of. And I knew I was last, but I didn't realize the I didn't realize the, the significance of it until I saw the full program with an act that came in wow. to entertain the crowd before me, and then they come out, hey, finally introducing our main act of the night. Or I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Like they were trying not to tell me, so I wouldn't be nervous. I'm assuming. <laughs> but um, so I did this TED talk on body language and influence, so, you know, 18 minute piece on just a little taste of what it's like. Yeah. And then COVID happened, and that's just where we're at now. I'm just waiting for yeah. the corporate world to catch back up. And we're 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 on the brink there. We're we're looking at at some some good opportunities coming up, hopefully. And um, so I guess that that leads into another question: is um, ha, has this kind of changed the shift? Uh, how's it affected your YouTube uh, involvement? Well, the injury I, I had to lay off my film guy, and I kind of became a one man show again. Started doing tutorials at home, stuff I can do when I wasn't in pain because I, I would yeah. show up on camera and I would put on my face and I would just be on and I would do my thing. But what people don't see is maybe for three, four days, I couldn't film. I couldn't get out of bed. I had <laughs> neck pain, back pain, and I would just yeah. toss and turn. And then I'd finally have a day of like, okay, you know what? I have a few hours right now. Let me just, let me clean up. Let me get my my act together. And I would just like, Hey guys, welcome to my YouTube channel. Today, we're going to learn about the top 10 ways to prank your friends, blah, blah, blah. And I would just turn my switch on and just put everything I have into it. And I kept making content 
but it kind of got to a point where we started to decide to, to maybe move. And I started focusing more on the TED Talk and my body language uh, seminars and all that. And I kind of just kind of weaned out man, uh, uh, YouTube for a little bit, took a little hiatus. And I was had all intents and purposes to get back into it. And then COVID happened. So I'm kind of, yeah. that's a little bit on hold as well. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't go out in public. I can't go film. I can't interact yeah. with people. So I'm going to be adjusting that channel. I still have a few million subscribers there who are anxiously awaiting new content. And I think what I'm going to do is start showcasing other talents and just showcase how great people are. Instead mm -hmm. of me teaching you how to do pranks all the time, I'll still make it fun and entertaining, but I think I'm going to be more of a host and just still produce content, but just in a different direction is all. Well, I got to see but from the documentary, but also that experience I had filming a video with you when, when you got me out there in the Spider-Man suit. Oh my gosh. Um, that was that, awesome. That, that was a that was great day. Despite me spraining my ankle by the end of the day, that was, <laughs> that was so much fun, but, but I got to see how, how that worked. And, and it was really fascinating to me because, you know, YouTube is a completely different animal when it comes to creation, because, you know, when you're making films, you have all this like creative process of, you know, you're spending like some people spend years and years honing their documentary or their film. And YouTube is something you gotta, you gotta, create content you got to create you know valuable interesting exciting and quality content on a regular basis to keep your subscriber base happy and from the documentary when i was filming b-roll of you you know making a youtube video and i even filmed a little bit of one in the mission plaza it was just so interesting to me seeing like you said about that switch how you can you can go into that you know that perform performance and and really pull off that that vibe so I can, I can completely understand, you know, how, you know, what, how everything happened, how that could have impacted that, but, you know, hopefully I think it would be good to, to get the channel, you know, going. And I, I know there's a lot of people who, who want to see it. One of the, one of the interesting things is when I came here to school, um, one of my classmates who was in my intro class, my intro to digital film, I was, I had posted about it on my Instagram and he followed me and he's like, Oh wait, you you know, Rich? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, that's super cool. Cause I've watched him since I was like, you know, in, in high, middle school and high school. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, I've always loved his videos and you made a documentary on him. And it was cool to me that, you know, the influence was big and you can see that there's a lot of people that, that this, this means a lot to. So mm -hmm. that I can completely see that. When the film was at Docuta and I was still going to school there, uh, my roommate was like, oh, my God, I watch it. <laughs> yeah, same thing. He was like, I watch his videos all the time. You're, you yep. you have a movie with him. And so he went oh, wow. to uh, go see the film at Docuta and he was he was so blown away. He, he had a blast with that. Um, uh, this is a question uh, that was submitted, and uh, it's kind of a question we were kind of drafting up here on our end too. Is Rich, um, who, if 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 you can name someone or a few, uh, were some big inspirations for you? Uh, you know, as you started your your path, uh, kind of figuring out what you wanted to do in the world of magic, who would you name as a big inspiration? Oh man, this is a, this is a tricky question because there's magicians that might see this documentary and be very. <laughs> but I, I'm going to be blatantly honest because that, there's no there's no other no no better way to be than just honest. Um, yeah. I have never been influenced until I was into magic as a profession before mm -hmm. I was influenced by magicians, and I'll tell you why. Um, I never saw a magician. I'd never been to a magic shop. I've never heard of a magician until David Copperfield in the late '80s, but I'd never seen him. Uh, and I was going to college and I was very quick on my toes and I was very good at like shenanigans, 
You know, like I'd tap you on the chest. Hey, Kyle, see you later, man. And I'd pinch your pin and take it out of your pocket without you knowing, put it behind my ear and then, you know, make it up here. But it wasn't because I was a magician. It was because I was a smart ass. And so long story short, around the college days, people would treat me like a magician. They would say, hey, Rich, show my friend that trick you do with their phone or show, you know, whatever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not a magician. I don't know anything about magic. So that's where it was. It kind of sat on the back burner. I knew I had a skill set being fast on my toes, being very observant, but I didn't know anything about magic. And then when I was about 26, 27, something like that, I met a hypnotist. And that was the first person I'd ever met that had any involvement in entertainment in in any way. And he and I worked together to develop a hypnosis show. And um, I did the props and I did the audio and things like that. And we kind of scripted some, some, some themed type hypnosis shows for the corporate world. And he unfortunately got brain cancer, moved to Oregon. And then I was left on my own going, well, what am I going to do? I got the bug now. I'd love to entertain people. I, I didn't know this about me. I, I hated to be in front of crowds. I hated speech class. I'd, I never wanted to be in the center of attention. And um, until I pull the switch, I still am not that guy. I, I sit back at a party. I don't want to be the center of attention. And I don't want people to be asking me for a magic trick all the time, I, unless I'm performing and that's different. You know, and um, so long story short, when I was about 28, I had this incredible introduction and bug for entertainment, but I didn't want to do hypnosis, but I always knew I had a a knack for interacting with people, opportunity based shenanigans. And along that line, I met a magician or two through hypnosis and entertainment. And they're like, you should join the magic castle and you this and you that. And and I'm like, what's the magic castle? You know, that's how green I was. I knew nothing about magic. (laughs) And then I literally within about a three month period from the infancy of discovering magic and actually dabbling in interactive magic and doing it full time was about three months. And I just jumped in two feet and I've never turned back. So that was when I was 28. So I don't have any magic influence or inspirational things except for my friend who really got my, my brain chugging on uh, human behavior and influence, which I have always loved that stuff. And then I kind of put that skill set and put it on magic. So my mm-hmm. mode of operation when I do a card trick, a coin trick, a mind reading trick isn't the techniques behind magic, so to speak, which I've learned and I'm still learning those things. It was really more like, how do I manipulate a person and keep take control of a yep. situation and make it look like magic? And so I come at it from a very different angle and I've put both of those worlds together and I'm, you know, I get better all the time and I'm still learning magic as we speak. I just, I came into it very, very late. Yeah. And uh, another question here is um, if you had to name like a favorite place, the the question is, I was curious, where is your favorite place to perform? And I guess that could be interpreted in a a variety of different ways, like either style of venue or style of show. What's, what's your favorite uh, flavor of performing? (laughs) It's tricky. You know, I, I really like very exclusive. I don't want to say high end. It's not like someone's better than someone else, but there's a, there's a certain vibe that happens when you're in a mansion and you're with people who think they've seen it all. I don't care how wealthy you are, but they have an aura, <laughs> aura about them. You know, like one yeah. of my favorite clients is, you know, uh, Gunther Rinker, the, you know, the, the CEO of this company. And he's, he's got houses all over the place. He's got one mansion on the beach in Santa Barbara area, south of Santa Barbara. And I've gone and performed it for him and his clients and family half a dozen times. And he's like old money. He's just, he is, he is a, uh, such a solid person. He's not one of those cocky people that has a mansion in, you know, uh, Chicago who's like, hey, you perform now for my friend. He's not like <laughs> arms around you. This is my buddy, Rich. You guys got to see him. I mean, just a good, solid person. You would never knew he was a billionaire, you know? And um, 
So that type of venue where you're in a really nice house with really good people and it's almost like unsuspected. It's not a big mm -hmm. magic show like on stage. You don't even know what you're going to expect. And here I am, it's after dinner. They're like, hey, everyone gather around. My buddy Rich wants to show you something. And it's like 25 people maybe. And I just start doing a mind reading act and their jaws hit the floor because it's so intimate. Mm -hmm. I just love that. It's an intimate but still high end versus like a corporate show where they're watching every single yeah. thing you say and you better not say the wrong word or you know, <laughs> uh, you're being paid top dollar to introduce their product and it's kind of more of a work versus free flow. So I think my favorite is just high end parties where people are kicking off their shoes in their day jobs. Yeah, they might be important and they may expect a lot, but in this setting, we're all just shooting the shit. And it's, yeah. that's, that's a really different opportunity to take magic that's at a high level, but keep it easy, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and this is a hard question because, you know, it, it comes down to one of those things is there can't really be a favorite, but if, uh, someone asked, I wanted to ask, what is the best or what is your favorite magic trick slash effect you've performed till date? Uh, you can take that question however you want and run with it. <laughs> That's a tough one. I, okay. I, I have a few. Uh, one that comes to mind was the first time I ever filmed myself. This mm -hmm. was way back. You know, cameras were this big. You know, <laughs> don't take you stuck in them, right? This was way back. This was way, way before YouTube. And the first trick I ever filmed, it was just a whim. I was like, I got this idea and I don't know if it's going to work, but it would be so cool if I could make predictions up here in weird places. This was way before David Blaine. This was before, you know, anything like that, that would have inspired me. This was just a weird idea I had. And I thought it would be so cool to go out and like have, Hey, sir, in the back, could you, uh, Hey, you over there, could you uh, think of a word? Could you send it to someone over here? Like just point to a girl and they go that girl. And then the word appears on her body. Like that would just be, it'd make no sense. And I, I know there was no like premise or reasoning that it would should work or why it works. Or, you know, magic kind of needs, needs a storyline. Um, but I just thought it was so wild and unexpected. So I thought I would try it. So the very first time I tried this trick that I had in my head, no rehearsal, no practice. I just went on the streets. I had my roommate, had a big old camera, filmed me. And I went up to a person, I gave him a dictionary. I said, here, look for any word in this thing. And I want you to think of a word and I want you to send it to one of your friends. It was a bunch of college kids. And uh, he did, he thought of a word and he sent it to one of the girls. He said, which one, this one here? He said, hold, hold your hands up together. And they put their hands up and they touched. And right when they touched, three of the friends screamed because they saw the word the guy was thinking of printed across her entire arm. And he goes, what, what, oh my God. And he just screamed and they started just running in circles. And I realized that what was so powerful about that particular trick that was the reason I wanted to do it was because there's two things that happen in magic. Well, in this particular situation, one, they're trying to figure out, okay, how, how did you get it on them? Right? So one part of the brain's trying to decide that the mechanics of that, but then the other part of the brain, that's like the, the reverse engineering, the Sherlock's home part is like the, how did you know my word? Like, how do you know, how do you make the trick work? How would you even know my word to begin with? But then there's the other part, the physical part is how does it end up on that person? <laughs> and so you get a right and left brain conflict and you literally get people doing this. <laughs> and they're stuck and you yep. literally see it in their face. So when you can make a trick that's got two major elements that compose each other, it's pretty fun. And so that's probably my favorite effect or favorite thing that I've done in magic. That's very cool. Nice. Yeah. Now, um, Brooke, you know, I just wanted to address one thing before we wrap up here is, uh, and you brought it up before, but I just like to kind of promote it again. And that is, um, where can people check out the score? 
Yeah. So the score or the you know soundtrack to Becoming Rich, uh, you can find on um, Spotify, on uh, iTunes or Apple Music, um, basically any streaming uh, platform that you have. Um, you know, I think there's the, the pretty much the the whole scores on there, including that six minute track. So yeah, <laughs> uh, have have fun with that, and then you can always uh, try to figure out if you can hear shape the magic anywhere yeah, in there. It's an instrument, <laughs> and you can if you figured it out, you can let me know, and I may tell you if you're right or not because I can't remember where I put it. <laughs> And then he'll personally congratulate you. <laughs> and, then, yep. and, then and then I'll open up my session from three years ago and try to figure out where the hell I put that, 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 uh, that instrument. One thing I this wanted to do great. is oh, yeah. give an acknowledgement um, to the people who are not in this call, but are still involved in the film. Um, there is Rich's wife, Tracy Ferguson, who gives an amazing interview and amazing viewpoint and humanity to the film um love that interview and just i think she brings such a really cool unique aspect to the story um josh donovan who's also another voice in the film who he's made it big he's uh in atascadero he's he's gonna be he's a mayor over there so that's that's pretty awesome um and aaron steed of meathead movers who um both josh and also who are people who have hired him for some of their events and have really awesome things to say um as far as you know production and stuff goes it was a family effort here at super ltd and and i can't you know couldn't have done it without the help of kyle and also my parents who facilitate a lot of the stuff going on because i was just a, a baby high school student when i made that film so it was a labor of love and i'm just really happy that it still exists and people are still wanting to see it so um i hope you all enjoyed the film and if you haven't seen it yet there are still copies of the blu-ray available um available on our website superimageltd.com slash becoming rich um and hope you enjoyed the screening and if you want to watch it again you have access to this for 24 hours so um if you're catching this on youtube follow us on all our socials in the link below and hope you all have a great day thank you for tuning in Yes, thank you for uh, joining this Q&A, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing everybody uh, very soon with our next project. <laughs> All right, you thank, you awesome. thank you guys. Thank you guys.